Welcome to the show, Brain Health Unchaining Your Pain. And I have the wonderful Anne Bonner on the show today. Welcome to the show, Anne. I am so excited to be here, Dr. Ruth. This is very exciting and long awaited. We've had to postpone. So I'm excited <laughs> to finally be able to chat with you today. <laughs> I'm really excited too. And I'm also kind of a little bit apprehensive because it's absolutely sweltering here in the UK as we're recording it. So if I turn into a big dribbling mess, I'm just so sorry. But we are we are here. It's you know it, this is just the reality of life, isn't it? So we just go with the flow. So for those of you that don't know Anne, she is an accidental marketeer, corporate executive, and multi potentialite with a smart mouth and a willingness to shout what most will only quietly think. I love that. She has spent much of the last two decades working in marketing for startups and large organizations and based largely on her prior experiences in those spaces, is on a mission to get the business world to focus on the humanity of their teams and put people people over profits. And I just think that's so, so important, um, especially given my experience as well. She partners with new emerging leaders and seasoned execs, empowering them to build a human-centric future of work for themselves and their teams and speaks to audiences on how to embrace and embody lucid leadership, create a human-centric workplace and become an agent of authenticity. And we talked about that just before jumping on the show, the importance of being authentically you. So I am so excited to talk to you today because we had so much fun chatting when we first connected. Um, so I'm really excited for you to share your story in the context of brain health. But before we do, I would love to know, what is it you are truly passionate about in life right now? I love that question. And let me just say, I am very excited to be here. This, like I said, this has been a long time coming. We have tried to do this for months and I was so excited. And I love that question. I love the question of what I'm, what am I most passionate about right now? And I think it's what I've been passionate about for, gosh, for, for at least six months, if not longer, officially, which is really exactly what my intro says, is creating human-centric workplaces. And what that means to me is creating workplaces where people can show up as their whole humans. As I like to say, you don't hang up your human suit when you step into the office or when you go into a conference room or when you dial into a Zoom call. You go in as a whole human, and that whole human has emotions, has baggage, has things that are happening outside of the office has, that are both good and bad. And all of that affects how you show up at work. And sometimes mm -hmm. you will show up amazingly and sometimes you will show up with just a little bit of need and or maybe a little bit of tiredness or maybe a little bit of sadness or a lot of any of those things and creating human-centric workplaces where psychological safety is paramount and where people feel like they can show up authentically is to me the biggest passion that i have is what i try to do for my own teams at work and what i teach others and help others and coach others to do both in an individual setting and on a corporate and you know kind of big old worldwide stage setting so that is mm. that is my passion that is what i do and uh, that is what i focus on yeah and do you know i love that i think it's so important we forget the the fact that people come to the workplace whether they think they do or not as their whole self Mm -hmm. um, with the baggage that comes with it, and you know, I've just mentioned as a as a as a warning that it's really hot in here, and we, we can get really cranky, can't we? Just just from the simplest things of our environment can make us cranky, but stuff that happens in our life can can change our status quo. Like you said, it affects our, us emotionally, affects us physically, affects us mentally, mm -hmm. and it affects us spiritually. And it's so important that as leaders in the workplace, they acknowledge that and that people are human, they're not just a number, mm -hmm. um, not just an employee number, they're, they're humans uh, through and through and need to be treated as such. I Before we dive into your story that got you into that space, what yes. would you say optimal brain health means for you personally? Oh, that is such a layered question. So for me personally, it means to exist in a space where... I feel comfortable to embrace whatever 
I am feeling and however my brain is feeling and I feel safe doing so. And it doesn't mean that I am always happy, although I am a, as I like to describe myself, I am a violently happy individual. I, there's very little that will actually bring me down. I just, I don't practice toxic positivity, but I am just a cheery, happy, go lucky sort of person. But for me, it doesn't just mean I'm going to embrace my happiness fully. It also means that I also have anxiety. You know, I, I embrace my anxiety fully and I don't see it as a detriment. I see it as just a part of me that I work with and that I understand and that I care for. And there's many other facets to me. So optimal brain health to me is being highly aware of who you are as a person inside your own head and loving yourself for it, embracing yourself for it, grieving yourself the grace to be that person. And understanding that good days and bad days come in equal measure and that you are okay to embrace and live in those spaces whenever you, whenever they happen to come your way. Mm. Do you know, I absolutely love that because it's so important that we really take that time to embrace who we are. And I know you mentioned it in, you know, in the introduction is, is showing up as our authentic self and we can mm -hmm. easily give ourselves a mask and ignore that who we are as an individual you know ignore the fact that some days we may be anxious and we may start to feel our anxiety levels raise um and particularly if you have anxiety i have anxiety myself too um and i i can get really you know quite quickly agitated um yep. and it's important to know that's just who you are and to understand who right. you are as a person and, and that, that's how your brain functions and to be gracious with yourself. That's exactly right. Right. To, to, right. It's so much, so much of what I think optimal brain health is, is understanding that who you are, all of the different facets of who you are, right. are neither good nor bad. They are just, they just are. And they are who you are. And when you start understanding, because as society, society feeds us many perceptions of what is good and bad as a human being, what you're supposed to do and how you're supposed to act and how you're supposed to be. And we internalize those and we see things like anxiety, like depression, like whatever, insert things here. We start to see them as either positive or negative. Oh, overachievement is great. Being super busy all the time is great. Never having time off is fantastic. They, it tells us all these different things. And we start to ascribe good or bad to all of those. And when you do that, when you feel anxious, you might go, oh my God, I'm such a terrible person. Why can't I calm down? Or why is this happening to me? And the fact of the matter is, it's just how your brain works. And mm -hmm. if you learn how to work with your brain, as opposed to against your brain, that to me is optimal brain health. Because at that point, mm -hmm. I'm not so worried about, am I feeling anxious? Oh my God, how do I stop myself? Is Am I feeling anxious? I, I am feeling anxious. Well, how do I best work with myself to mm. still feel productive and happy and good through this anxiety period? Mm. That's just what yeah. I do. Yeah. And I love it. Thank you for mentioning that because, you know, anxiety, it, it, it triggers emotions, doesn't it? And sometimes mm -hmm. society tells us to suppress our emotions. You know, we mm -hmm. show up to the workplace, we come with a huge baggage of emotions. You know, we might have a whole rucksack full. <laughs> some people yep. might have a handbag. Some people might have a, you know, a, a, a purse full. But, you know, we show up with a certain element of emotions and they're just a cue that is telling us to do something so that they're a, they're a signal to say, okay, something, you either want to move towards something, uh, you know, when happy emotions make you want to move to, generally you're moving towards something when, when you're in a positive emotional swing. And then you, you may have emotions that are negative, that may making you want to move away from something. And if you ignore the emotions that are a cue for you, to telling you to take action on, on that emotion, then they'll shout louder. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly, they absolutely will shout louder. And I, and I love the idea of reframing emotions instead of positive or negative, although they're easy to describe that way, but things that you yeah. want to move towards and things that you want to move away yeah. from. And you said, you know, people come to the, to the office or to a workspace with, with different sizes of emotional baggage. I have a steamer trunk, multiple, <laughs> you know, steamer trunks full of emotional baggage. And it's, I, I love that you, that you kind of brought that up because one of the things that I actually speak on a lot and that I work with people a lot on is the concept of work, of workplace trauma. And it's something that whenever I bring up and I start talking yeah. to folks about workplace triggers and how sometimes even the smallest things will trigger 
anxiety or sadness or anger or anything in the workplace and you can't explain it, those are specifically specifically related to workplace incidents that you have experienced in the past, both positive and negative. A constant example that I, I use is oftentimes if you if you're in an office space in a, or in an office setting and you use Slack, for example, or one of the communications tools, Slack or Teams or Skype or anything like that, if your boss sends you a message and all it says is, hi, got a minute? So many people will immediately go into panic mode. What's going on? I'm getting fired. Something yeah. is wrong. When all your boss might want to ask is, hey, do you know where that PowerPoint is? But our immediate <laughs> reaction is, my life is over. I'm about to get fired. I'm not going to have income. And, all, and people go, why do I react like this? Well, it's probably because you've never been or you have been in some very unsafe work environment psychologically mm -hmm. that have led you to believe that when someone asks you an innocuous question, you are immediately in danger of X, Y, Z, bad thing happen. And when mm -hmm. you start recognizing that you bring those trauma triggers with you into the workplace, it doesn't mean that you'll stop having them, but it means that you can identify them and work with them. And more importantly, you can communicate to your boss, your peers, your teammates, that you actually need something different. I, one of the things that I say to combat the slack trauma trigger is ask people for a hi and why, which means you don't just say, hi, got a minute. You say, hi, do you have a minute to talk about that PowerPoint slide that you were working on yesterday? I was mm -hmm. hoping to have it by the end of the day. Mm -hmm. Same, probably the same exact thing, highly, highly minimized trauma reaction, yeah. right? So it's, you're but again, framing it to what you want. Because you're framing it, but you frame it because you're aware of what your brain needs because mm -hmm. you have, instead of seeing yourself as, oh my God, why do I have this reaction? You say, I have this reaction because X thing has happened to me in the past and I need this thing to feel safe. And then you mm -hmm. communicate it. You draw that communication boundary and now you're fine. But yeah, it's, we come to work with a tremendous amount of, of baggage and trauma. And again, a part of optimal brain health is being able to recognize that trauma and then provide yourself and your brain with the things it needs to not be triggered. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean that we all come, come out of it with shiny brand new brains that never had anything happen to them. We are coming in at with Band-Aid brains, but we know how not to rip the Band-Aids off. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's it. Yeah. And I want to draw on the fact that, you know, you you say you come in with a trunk load of, of emotions. And, and do you know that's okay? That the, the point is it doesn't matter how big your bag is if you know if you come in with a truck or a you know a train it it, it really doesn't matter because if, if you know what emotions are in those it, it, it is in your rucksack you can manage it's much easier to manage them it comes back to your first point is your awareness of yourself mm -hmm. but you, you could have one emotion in your purse but if you don't right. take the time to look in your purse and go oh Right. With me today. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like the, the old banana at the bottom of your purse. You're like, how long has this been here? You got to yeah. look at the bananas in your purse. You got to look at them. And it can be scary. You know, it can be so scary. And, we, and we'll talk about, because the whole point around your podcast, I know, is to talk about the trauma and the pain that you bring with you right. and how you can un unlock that. And it's scary to look at that trauma. And it's it scary is, yeah. to look. And I am by no means, I am not a doctor of medicine. I have not gone to, you know, I don't have an MD in brain health. I do not. But what I have is a lot of time spent analyzing myself in terms of what have been my trauma triggers? What have I experienced? What have I learned? And with the help of my own therapist, I, we have uncovered a lot of different things that, yes, is it scary to look at the things that bring you trauma? Yes. But the benefits that you get from looking at them, analyzing them, turning them around and understanding how, not just how they trigger you in certain mm -hmm. situations, but how they've shaped you as a person and what you can do with both those triggers and those shapes that's the win of mental health. That's the win of analyzing the bananas at the bottom of your purse, right? Yeah. yeah. And I'd love to go back to your to your journey now, because we've talked about, you know, the fact that you have a, a trunk full of trauma. It is, is where did your journey start, you know, in the context of marketing? And, and would you be willing to share how you uncovered the, the triggers? that relate to workplace trauma? Yeah, absolutely. So 
like we said in, in my, my kind of bio intro, I've been in the marketing space for a very long time. I, I accidentally fell into it. That's why I, kind, I call myself an accidental marketer. I never, I don't have an MBA. I don't have a marketing degree. It was one of those things where I was, I've been in different startups for a long time. And when you're in a startup, everybody wears all sorts of hats and everybody yeah. does all sorts of different things. And I just happened to be an early adopter of social media and very adept at tech. And this was 20 years ago where blogs weren't really a thing. Social media wasn't really a thing. All of these were emerging technologies and I was very comfortable with them. So I kept raising my hand whenever anybody would say, does anybody know how to do that Facebook thing? Say, I know how to do that Facebook thing. Do people know how to do the Twitters, the blogs? I know how to do the Twitters and the blogs. And so I, I very much accidentally fell into my field. Now, 20 years later, I am a, a vice president of marketing for a major publishing house. So I've learned very hands on how to do all the different things that I do. But I accidentally fell into everything. And I would say that my experiences in I would say workplace trauma <laughs> and triggers didn't really start coming up until about 10 years ago when okay. I and, it, and, it, and that's in retrospect, right? That's very much in retrospect of what I think actually actually happened. And I don't know if, I'm sorry if you can hear the, I don't know if you can hear noise in the background. It doesn't matter. We okay. go with the flow. Have, we go with the flow. <laughs> I have gardening work that's happening today. I have a giant pile of mulch that's being done for me because just like with you, Ruth, it is extremely hot over here. So I'm not going to be outside doing mulching and yard work right now. <laughs> but so... Going back to, so I didn't really start, I don't think, experiencing workplace trauma until about 10 years ago. And in retrospect, at the time, if you'd asked me if I was experiencing, I'd tell you, absolutely not. But one of the things that I've realized is because I was in the technology space for mm -hmm. for about the past decade-ish, seven-ish seven or so years, one of the things that occurs in the technology space is there are very few women. So I was always one of the very few women in the room. There are very few what I call brown people like me. I am, I'm Latina. I'm originally from Guatemala, so I'm Hispanic, right? There's very few people in that regard. Uh, there's also not a whole lot of queer people. I am gay. And so I was in, in a variety of different minorities within the workplace. And that really causes you to feel like an outsider a lot of the time. And it, it causes you to have to really stand up for yourself. It also causes you to be subjected to, especially as a woman, to a lot of different just microaggressions in the workplace that you don't even think about until I, you're actually outside of it. And you go, oh my God, I never got to finish a whole sentence. I always had to justify myself. I always had to really fight for everything, whereas men could just kind of coast through. And so those, I think, were really the original, just little bits and pieces of trauma that kind of started mm -hmm. piling on over and over again. And they and they became more and more compounded as I went up the ladder of of, cor of corporate ranks, if you will. Um, because as I continued to rise up the ranks, my persona, my being became more and more rarefied. I went from being like one of a few women or one of a few brown people or one of a few queer people to being the only brown queer yeah. woman in a space. And it, it makes you, in a lot of ways, it makes you feel unsafe. It mm -hmm. makes you feel tokenized. It makes you feel like you constantly have to justify your existence. It also makes you feel, makes you question, if I'm being completely honest, a, a lot of the reason why you're there. Am I there because I'm talented or am I there because I feel a really nice diversity quota and I look really good on the masthead? There's a lot of different things that, yeah. kind, of, that kind of feed into that. And it creates a lot of potentially contentious situations, especially when you're pitted up against, as, as a woman, again, against male executives, right? You're constantly kind of battling and it becomes a very contentious place to be. It really came to a head. And this is really where I think you and I got connected was because yes, we heard about this particular story. It really came to a head at one of the last roles I had. And I won't mention the company because it's really not, the, the, the company is not so much necessary to know as is the experience that I had. So mm -hmm. at one of my, currently I am, and I'll say where I work now, I'm the, I'm mm -hmm. the vice president of growth marketing at Penguin Random House. So it is not this role because I am still here. It was a role that I've had previously. But in that role, I was brought on to be a vice president of growth overseeing sales, marketing, and success. And the job was okay. It wasn't my favorite job. It wasn't my least favorite job. I really loved my team. My team was great. And there were lots of different things that were happening in that role. But really, where it, where it all came to a head was in the way that I got fired. 
Oh, you're back. Okay, I'm sorry. You were you were spinning there a little bit. I was I spinning? I'm sorry. I'm still here. I'm still. You're still here. Okay, good, good, good. <laughs> uh, I want to make sure. So it really came to a head in the way that I was fired from that yeah. role because I was fired, and this I think is really what made me stop and think about the amount of trauma that I'd had and all the triggers <laughs> that all kind of came to a head. Um, so the story of how I got fired actually starts fairly innocuously. I had been meeting. My boss was the CEO. Mm -hmm. And I had been meeting with him over the course of weeks and months talking about team performance and what needed to be done. And we weren't underperforming, but we weren't killing it. We weren't blowing it out of the water. It was fine. And at one point, my boss said, OK, we're getting to we're we're at the beginning of the year. We need to talk about bonuses for the for the team for the last year. And he didn't want to pay my team any bonuses. And I said, well, people deserve bonuses. They did their work. If bonuses are part of their contract, we should probably pay them. He didn't want to pay them. He said, well, I'd like to talk to you about these bonuses. So let's go ahead and set up some time on Friday to talk about the bonuses. And I said, mm -hmm. okay, absolutely. Um, I prepared for that meeting pretty intensely because when somebody doesn't want to pay other people their bonuses, th that's, that's not a job. That's not a conversation about paying bonuses. That's a conversation about people potentially losing their jobs. So I prepared very, very assiduously to have mm -hmm. this conversation about my team with my boss. And when I came into this meeting, very prepared to talk to him, um, I walk in and I said, oh, hi, how are you? We'll call him Chad. I say, hey, Chad, how are you? How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. How are you, Anne? I said, I'm doing fine. Really looking forward to having this conversation. And as I started to talk, bloop, a secret person joined the meeting. And that secret person was the head of human resources, the head of HR. And as anybody who has ever been in the corporate space knows, you don't ever have a meeting where somebody rolls in unless you're going to get fired. And keep in mind, I had no idea that anything was wrong. I hadn't been talked to about anything that was wrong with my role, no underperformance, nothing. Mm -hmm. So in roles, the head of HR, and we'll call her Karen. And so here I am, and there's Chad, and there's Karen, and there's me, and we're on Zoom. And as soon as I saw this happen, I said, oh, I didn't say it. I thought it. I said, oh, I'm getting fired. Mm -hmm. Huh, this is interesting. And he proceeded to read a script that he had prepared on how I, I was getting fired and did I have any questions and everything else. And of course I didn't have any, what questions could I possibly have had? And then she asked me if I had any questions and I said, I have no questions. And he goes, okay. And it took all of about five minutes to fire me from a role where I had no idea that I had done anything wrong. And then when I said I had no problem, no questions, he just said, okay, well have a great day and closed the Zoom and just left me hanging there. And as I'm, and I saw all of my different tools, my email didn't work anymore, my Slack didn't work anymore. I was, I went from having a job and having a team and talking to my team to not having a job, not having a form of mother of communication, nothing. And that was, if I'm being completely honest, Ruth, that was kind of the culmination of about 10 years of yeah. what I've really have come to realize was, I won't, I won't use the term abuse because I think there's true uh, psychological abuse. This was not it, but it was workplace emotional gaslighting, workplace emotional manipulation, workplace emotional mistreatment that I had come to basically assume was common, everyday, commonplace. Like, oh, of course this is going to happen. Yes, when you go into work, put on your armor, you're ready to fight. That's horrible. What a horrible way to think about the way that you go in and it honestly caused me to question so many things to the point where I'm actually surprised that I'm back in the corporate world today because I left after I got fired. I thought to myself, I'm never putting myself in that situation again. In fact, it was what pushed me to create my company, human centric work yeah. and to really start working very hard with new and emerging leaders, but also with executive teams to be like, we are going to call this out for, and I am not by any stretch of the imag imagination, a new voice in the human centric workplace course. I am not, there are many other people, but I found it so necessary to name it and to call it and work towards it because I could no longer, because I saw my team as well. I wasn't the only one fired that day. Five, six, five or six other people wow. got equally blindsided on my team that day as well. None of us saw it coming. And there was there was no severance. There was no warning. There was no indication. We were treated so disposably. And the thought of treating a human being that disposably is, per frankly, anti-human and heinous. You should never think of human beings that way. Mm. But but yes, that's that's kind of where, where the genesis of it all came. And I know that one of the questions that you asked me when we first met about this was, 
do you feel like you can talk about this? Is it, do you feel like this was something that traumatized you so much that you can't, are you okay with? And I said, I have never been more okay to talk about this kind of thing in my life because <laughs> it was almost like that particular trauma unlocked in me a deep, deep, deep desire to, yeah. to just make it stop. Yeah. Some and I loved your passion on LinkedIn as well, you know, yeah. post that experience because you were on fire, you know, you, you, you were a woman on a mission, just really, you know, stamp, you know, it was like, you know, I'm ready to stamp this out and, and I, you were stamping really, you know, really loudly and really firmly that this is totally unacceptable and it it's, is totally unacceptable it's well it's it's unacceptable it's unacceptable as my as my nine-year-old son says it is bull honky it is absolute bull honky that that's that we that the corporate world feels like this like inflicting emotional damage on people in the name of profitability is okay it's just simply not especially especially because we know that when you do the opposite, when you actually create psychologically safe spaces, when you create clarity, when you provide transparency, when you show up vulnerably and kindly, teams actually overperform because they feel safe, because they feel heard, because they feel seen. So it, it becomes a question of if you know that this will yield, this a space of safety and vulnerability and transparency and kindness will yield great results, why are you making the choice not to? Because then it becomes a, a choice that you see and you wonder, is this about power? Is this, what is it? What is driving the opposite, the anti-human behavior, right? And so when you realize that the way that Corporate, corporate America really is my experience. And so I'm just going to say corporate America. I won't say the corporate space, although I have plenty of followers and friends and fans from around the world who go, yeah, it sucks here too. So you have to wonder, why is that the default choice? Why are we so quick and willing to essentially emotionally harm, mentally harm humans for the sake of a, of a profit and loss statement? Why? When you know that you could do otherwise and you know that you should make that choice. So yes, that is my that ties into what is my trauma? What am I passionate about? You know that like this all it, it all comes to a head in this way. Yeah. And you know, I think, you know, obviously my story is I had a really unfortunate experience in the workplace with being told by the firm I was put on a completely unexpected performance review and told I had no emotional intelligence after having a miscarriage. And you kind of think, what possesses somebody to think? that the behavior that you've experienced, the behavior that I experienced is okay right. to do that. And, and the time it takes to frame conversations early, you know, the prevention, <laughs> the preventative conversations, the mid-year reviews, the, you know, the in-year performance assessments, because mm -hmm. you would have been talking to your, you know, it's not the first time in the year you would have talked to your boss. <laughs> I talked to him. No. Correct. Unfortunately, I had to talk to him daily, constantly. And, and to, to your point exactly is what in the world possesses people to think? Number one, that treating somebody like that is okay. It's the way you were treated is, is heinous. The way that I was treated is imminently unacceptable. And again, it baffles the mind because why, what makes people think that making that choice is okay when you can always make a different one? And to your point, and I think so much of it, honestly, Ruth, boils down to, and this actually also ties into mental health, an absolute fear of, of saying, giving direct, honest feedback on a thing. Because I'm sure... I would love to think, I really do hope that there were reasons behind my firing beyond whatever they are, even though I was never actually told any of them. I would love to think that there were. And because I'm not perfect, maybe I was underperforming. I, I thought I was doing a great job, but we all do, right? But when, when we're blindsided, yeah, we're like, what in the world? <laughs> right. But how difficult would it have been to just have a conversation around, and I don't think that you're, you're doing this in the appropriate way. I don't think that you, but there is such a fear oftentimes of just having that direct conversation. And to your point, the mid-year reviews, you don't even need to have mid-year reviews, official annual reviews. You can just have a conversation, but there is so much fear around that. And again, why? And maybe it boils down to their own triggers of why they didn't want to have these why? conversations or their own triggers of 
what's not appropriate to say or what we've we've been told we can't have emotions we can't have these conversations if we'll just usher you out you know if if that's the case but yeah it, it absolutely boggles the mind that it's it's you really you really are expected to not just hang up your human suit when you walk into the office but also to accept whatever is given to you good bad or indifferent both physically and emotionally without question it's like oh well that's just the price of getting of having a job no no the price of getting of having a job is getting a paycheck that's it everything else shouldn't be tax on top of that yeah yeah i totally agree and i think you know you wonder how how you know sometimes we have people have hard decisions to make because of prof profit margins but you can make those hard decisions with compassion <laughs> mm -hmm. you don't have to make those hard decisions with a, you know a, a hard front you can do it in a compassionate way and you can warn people off that you know we're really struggling from a profit perspective i really mm -hmm. need your help <laughs> That's exactly right. You know, you can you can approach it in such a different way mm -hmm. as you would do if you're having a conversation with your family. You know, if, well, that's if exactly right. If you're struggling as as a family to make ends meet, everybody pulls together, don't they? So so you ask for the support within the family unit, and it is exactly the same within the business unit or within the wider organization, whatever whatever unit. Um, you happen to sit in and if you can't get that support within the unit then you ask the unit to say do you know anyone that could help us that's exactly <laughs> right and unity get the community. that's exactly right and and I'll say this is I, it, what you pointed out is exactly right is you because one of the one of the criticisms that I've gotten from some folks when I say the way that I was fired was absolutely heinous and should never have gone down that way. People go, well, what do you expect? You want people to just stop firing other people? No, I'm actually, I've never said, sometimes people just don't work out in certain roles and that's okay. Sometimes you have to have layoffs and downsizes and that's okay. My, my point of view has never been, oh, everybody needs to have a job forever. Like once you get a job, that's it. Here you go. Congratulations. No, I am saying bad things have to, or, or tough decisions have to be made. That is an unavoidable aspect of business. Mm -hmm. What is not okay is to make those decisions unkindly and to yeah. make those decisions inhumanely and mm -hmm. to forget that ultimately what you are dealing with is not a what at all. It's a who. You are mm -hmm. dealing with people and people who deserve to be treated with respect, who deserve not because they work for you, but because they are humans. And so they deserve to be treated with kindness and respect and humanity. And yes, sometimes you have to fire people. That's fine. But my reaction to having been fired would have been much different if I had known that it was coming or if I've been given chances to mm -hmm. talk about it. And if I had been given more opportunity than just some guy rolling into a meeting that I was lured into under false pretenses to read a script and then get told, have a nice day. Mm -hmm. The sheer inhumanity of it. Mm -hmm. Right? It, so... Yes. So I'm very, oh, I could go on about this forever, but it's no, I think it's, it's important because so, you know, you've pulled yourself out of the situation and you're mm -hmm. really fortunate that, you, you know, you're, you've used your voice and that's allowed you to get a really great position in, in the firm that you're in now. But some people can't pull themselves out of it. Some people, you know, from my experience in, in the workplace I was in, and I won't mention the company, but a lot of people who'd been put on performance reviews that I came across were psychologically damaged from the way that they ran those performance reviews. And, and you, you know, as you know, you're, you weren't the only one that mm -hmm. was given the message in the way it was delivered. There were mm -hmm. many other people. And so, and so it's not just, it's not just trauma to an individual, it's trauma to a collective and those collective people need ultimately to put dinner on their you know on their plates they need to earn mm -hmm. money they need to then that money that they earn then needs to support the economic growth of the country mm -hmm. and if if you as a as a leader don't recognize the downstream impact of your behavior on the on the economy as a whole because <laughs> ultimately it's 
some people can't go back to work because it's so traumatic. They, you know, like you said, I'm, I was, didn't think I'd ever step into the corporate workplace is what you, again, which is what you said. Mm -hmm. And some people literally can't do that because it's so intense such an intense tra- trauma for them uh, and that is okay if they've decided you know that's not for me that's fine but if that was what they hung their hat on and that was their real bread and butter and that's what they wanted for the future then it's it can have a huge knock-on effect beyond just the lack of courage to have decent human-centric conversations with that individual early on rather than delivering the, the bad news in, a, in, in an inhumane way. I think that's, that's, such a, that's such a savvy way to put it, because one of the things that we are seeing really in the United States, but it's not just relegated to the United States, is in, just immense levels of burnout that are specifically tied to the workplace. Mm-hmm. And also, as a result of that, we are seeing the great resignation, right? The great resignation isn't coming about because people are just, oh, we're tired of our jobs, we're going to quit. The great resignation is coming about because of what I call is the great awakening, which is the realization that we do not have to be in spaces that mistreat us so intensely, that work us to the ground, that treat our burnout as exhaustion and tell us to go get a massage or here's your yoga studio pass to fix it. Is it is an absolute disregard for the mental health of entire organizations where the answer to I feel burnt out is, well, why don't you take a PTO day and go get a facial? That's not going to fix anything. Yeah. What's going to fix it? Yeah. It's what needs to be what needs to be fixed is actually taking into consideration that when you spend a third to half of your life in a place, i.e. work, that place is not incidental to your humanity. That place is integral to your humanity mm-hmm. and your well-being and your mental health. And when you, you go into a place where that is not just ignored, but disregarded, that has tremendous knock-on effects, like you said, which is mm-hmm. we're not just looking at, oh, this individual is is not mentally well, or this group doesn't seem to have the great this great morale. It is it becomes this individual is bad. This group has terrible morale. This company isn't doing well. This country is in crisis, and it does have that. It, it, that's not dramatic. That is simply what happens when the majority of organizations and workplaces are simply disregarding, willfully disregarding the mental well-being of the individuals who work there. I think it's such an important point is because when I went through my own personal experience, for me, I was like, well, you're just not looking at the facts. You're just not looking at the facts of this situation. And and that's where the five pillars came, came to be is that you're just not looking at how I'm feeling because I've had a miscarriage. And by the way, HR, I told you. So there was no recognition of my emotional state at the time that the news was delivered um, or, or certainly consists any kind of consideration of it. They, they didn't look at the actions, A's for actions, the actions that had been taken in the run-up to that particular activity, you know, the actions taken by the person that was my performance manager who who failed to tell me that there was a problem (laughs) until the Mm -hmm. the hard news was delivered, the actions taken by by myself in the the course of the process to lift the business out of some crises that they put themselves in, that the connections that were within the company, the connections that had been fostered, the connections that, that I had um developed within the organization the connections with the team and how those dynamics were playing out the thoughts that people had they just focused on the negative thoughts the negative feedback rather than the positive feedback that being received it was very much a this is our perspective rather than looking at the holistic perspective Mm -hmm. and also the final bit which i think you brought up which so many people forget about is the surroundings that you work in the, the environment that you work in, the people that you're surrounded by, the, the cultural behaviours that um, uh, people adopt. And we, you know, um, it's said that culture is defined as the lowest level of behaviour that you tolerate. <laughs> uh, and people don't think about it like that. They, they, they project this, oh, our culture is so fantastic. But actually, 
what is the lowest level of behavior you accept in your organization yeah and it, and if that per, if you accept behavior of leaders that is unacceptable that's the culture that you adopt as an organization i'm sorry but if you're not prepared to be an Anne and stamp it out <laughs> and roll your sleeves up and step and say no this isn't acceptable then then that's that that's why we get this you know problem mm -hmm. that, that manifests and multiplies like we're seeing in the great resignation as you said it's because people haven't taken the time to do that early intervention uh, and to come with a human-centric approach to workplace and uh, and the work that people do that's exactly right and i you know that example that you gave is is actually one of my my favorite examples is Oftentimes when something terrible happens to somebody at work, whatever it is, insert horrible thing here. And you go to whoever handles your human resources, whoever handles, you know, your HR and you tell them, oh, this horrible thing happened. And their reaction is, oh, that's terrible. That's not our culture here. And my reaction is always, if it's happening, it's your culture. You may not want to admit that it's your culture. You may not want to recognize that it's your culture, but if it is happening, it is your culture. And so to, to come, come in here with willful ignorance, again, of, of kind of going in and being like, no, but we've defined our culture as these seven pillars of greatness and things. I don't care what you've defined. It's what is actually happening in reality that is your culture. You can have all of the wonderful, wonderful gold-plated posters in the world talking about <laughs> unity and vulnerability and all this stuff. If what is happening ultimately are microaggressions and horrible things and outright aggressions and racism and homophobia and misogyny, and if all of that is happening, it doesn't matter what your lovely posters say. Yeah. The culture is sick and failing. And unless somebody says something, does something, gets loud enough to make a change, sometimes, and, and you often have to do that at the risk of losing your own job. And that's okay. Like if, if you don't want to do it because of that, I respect that. I am actually willing to stake my my job on it because I don't want to be in a work environment that is negative. And so I will talk about it. And if I lose my job for it, well, I didn't want to work there to begin with. Exactly. Exactly. To me, that's the, that's the red flag I want to see. If yeah. I speak up and I get fired for it, oh my goodness, that's the red flag I want waved in my face because yeah. that's my cue to exit. But yeah. yes, it's... I agree. Yeah. I agree. I'd love to dive into the into the fun facts now. And, and yes, to dive into let's the do it. And do, and do something. So, as I mentioned, FACT stands for Feelings, Actions, Connections, Thoughts and Surroundings. Yes. Um, the first one is feelings. Let's dive into this. What's the funniest or most embarrassing thing that's ever happened to you? I don't know that it is the funniest or most embarrassing ever, but it is something that my partner, Jackie, loves to make fun of me for. Uh, just recently happening, actually. So, I don't know if you've ever watched While You Were Sleeping, but I refer to my style as Sandra Bullock in While You Were Sleeping, which okay, basically yeah. just means I like to wear long jackets and booties and oversized <laughs> pants and things. And I was walking out, walking outside with my partner a few a few weeks ago, and I was I had a long jacket on because it was an unseasonably cold night, which does not seem likely now. And I was and we were walking through a bit of a grassy space, and I heard what I thought was a slithering snake behind me. And I started running and the snake was chasing. And I looked back and I could see what I thought was a snake. It was, it was night. It was dusk. And meanwhile, my partner, I thought was absolutely unreasonably and hatefully laughing at me as I'm running across this field with what I thought was a snake chasing after me. Well, Ruth, it was a stick that had gotten caught in my long jacket Oh, and, no. I, and I thought it was a snake that was chasing me. And Jackie continues and will always continue to, to say, oh, look, every time we'll pass a stick on the sidewalk, they'll go, oh, it's a snake. Watch out. So that's the most recent funniest <laughs> slash most embarrassing thing. I can no longer I can no longer live in live in a land with sticks because they are now my nemesis. <laughs> I, I uh, it's just brought back to a, a reminder that I constantly get from my family, which is when I was trying to. Uh, get to a um, a training event uh, many 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 moons ago now about twenty years ago. Um, I got lost. This was before sat navs, and I had to phone my niece up, who was about eight at the time, Jessica, um, to get her map out that I'd bought her as part of the birthday <laughs> present to try and guide me to where I needed to go. Oh uh, my and gosh! That was hilarious. 
snakes and maps. We cannot, these are our nemesis. Snakes and maps. <laughs> it's like snakes, snakes and maps. maps isn't it? <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> so next one is actions. What's the craziest thing you've ever done? <sighs> it's an accidental thing. And I wouldn't have said that it was the greatest thing until in retrospect, but honestly, becoming a mother, I never wanted to become a mother. It was not something I never wanted to just, I never wanted to have kids. It was never like an aspiration, a thing. Some, some folks are to them, kudos. Um, yeah. I became a mother, not, not against my will, but just kind of like, oh, okay, well, you know, let's have kids. Um, and I did. And <laughs> I have come to absolutely adore being a mother. And I think the reason I do is because those two kids, my, my kids are nine and 11. They have probably taught me more about being patient, about being, about learning, about being flexible, about understanding, truly understanding other human beings than probably anybody else in my life. And so that is probably my greatest accidental action or accomplishment. Um, never meant to do it, but now that they're here, and they're nine and 11, I, it's easily one of the greatest things that's ever happened to me. I've, I'm an infinitely better human because of what my children have forced me <laughs> to learn and be, and come to terms with in, in the past yeah. decade or so. Do you know what I think? I love that. And I really resonate with that because my daughter, Lily, is three and a half. She teaches me so much. Mm -hmm. you know, and, and this evening, she was so super tired. And you know what kids are like when they're super tired. They just have mass, start to have massive meltdowns that are completely uncontrollable. And it doesn't matter what you do. It <laughs> they, does they, not. You know, you just have to have that patience to let them find their own sense of calm and let that emotion, that emotional wave just subside and come into shore and just dissipate at the same time. That's exactly it be right. A lot longer than you, you want it to be, but... You know, you you can't rush these things. You cannot. Kids teach you so much about how much your own timeline doesn't matter. <laughs> Sometimes it's just patience is the, is the name of the game, and you just have to wait it out. But yes, I would say my, my motherhood is probably one of my greatest accomplishments. Even though I had very little to do with it, other than I birthed them. But now they're now they're here and they've. Well, I think so that's much. a big thing because you actually, you know, as my husband would say, bake them as well. So I have actually baked them. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and the ingredients are important. So they are. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, oh, thank you for sharing that. I really resonate with that. It's really brought a big smile to my face. So, connection to yourself. What's the most important value that guides you in life? Uh, kindness. <gasps> kindness. Yes. And um, kindness, not just to others, but kindness, especially to myself. And it's something that I've learned to do, especially over, over, I would say the past three years is truly to learn how to be as kind to myself as I strive to be for others. And as I ask others to be to, to themselves and to their, to, to other people. But I, a kindness without a shadow of a doubt, I often fail at it. I am snarky and I am, you know, as, as, as my, my partner, my wonderful partner goes, you are such a petty bitch. And I said, I can't be, I can't absolutely be a petty bitch. Um, <laughs> but I try very hard to lead with kindness and lead with vulnerability and lead with love in as, in as many ways as I can. So I would say kindness. Yes. And do you know, that's one of my core values and uh, and the, the top of my list as well. And it's so important that we can, so many people, especially people that support others, can can spend all of their time giving kindness out and, mm -hmm. and, they, and they have no energy to bring it back to themselves. Yes. And, and, and they can be very unkind to themselves because they've run out of kindness. <laughs> It's true. You can abs no. yes, you can absolutely run out of of kindness. It's you would think, oh, it's a it's a renewable resource, and it is, but it's not an immediately renewable resource. So you have to always save some kindness for yourself. And I'll say this much as well, because one of the things that I also often get from folks is, yeah, but if you're kind to people all the time, you're just letting them get away with everything. There's a very big difference between being kind and being complacent and be kind and being weak and being kind and being permissive. You can be also, you can have hard conversations about negative things 
with kindness you because yeah. kindness is not about letting everything slide kindness is about remembering that who you are talking to is a human being with emotions and they deserve to be valued and seen and treated with love even if what you are delivering are bad news or bad things or negative things kindness is about how you treat somebody not about letting them walk all over you and it's about i think also it's re- i agree with you and i think it's also about really being truthful to yourself Mm-hmm. Uh, and truthful to others you know sometimes sometimes people need to be told um they're not being kind to themselves mm-hmm. you know, because they think they are you know that we sugarcoat everything don't we sometimes or, or we use sugar <laughs> yes uh, as a vehicle to help us feel better but it's actually not being very kind to us it's not some. it's not a relationship that loves you back <laughs> uh, and it's knowing that the relationships that actually give back what you need going forward long term and having that awareness going back to that awareness piece as to where you're being kind and unkind to yourself and people don't really take that time to to check in with themselves and I know you've done a lot of deep work in this area um to be kind about the emotions we have, mm-hmm. to, to be kind about the to ourselves. Okay, we might take we might do things that are unhelpful, but that doesn't mean we have to beat ourselves up about it. We just need right. to, as we as you would do a child, if if you are in a nurturing <laughs> uh, space with children, which is so important, it, it, it is give them a hug and say, do you know it's okay. Um, right. we, can, we can do better tomorrow that's right tomorrow is that's another right. day tomorrow is another day tomorrow you will reset the mechanism and I think a quote that came up for me as you were talking is from the queen Brene Brown uh, clear is kind you know mm-hmm. it's, it's clear is kind and so that doesn't mean we're going to walk all over you it doesn't mean we're going to it means that clarity is ultimately kindness and treating people like you said my, uh, my style of coaching and my style of talking is often referred to as sugar free because of that, like, oh, you, you want some sugar? Go to go to Anne. She has sugar free, sugar free advice for you. And <laughs> it's exactly that because I'm not going to sugarcoat a thing. It is diet. Yeah. My my advice is diet advice. It is sugar free, uh, but I will always say it kindly because it will be clearly developed, you know, delivered for you and to you. Yeah, I, I love that. I'd love to dive back into into your story. Uh, now going back to the sugar free because when we were talking about the environment you talked about you know how it, it, it we need to acknowledge the cult that the culture can be really rubbish or, or mm-hmm. I'd like to say poo or shit um, yeah. and sometimes people like to think they can sprinkle sugar <laughs> <laughs> sugar on poop does not taste good <laughs> it, you know shit is still shit Shit is still shit, even if you put a metric ass load of sugar on it. When you dig down in there, it's a poopsicle. So and it reminds me of like the American Pie wedding, you know. Yes. Yes, that's exactly. Mm -mm, You do not. So, So I'd love to go back to how your life has shifted and what you think is so important um, from your experience, because you you you've you know, for me, we we have a traumatic experience and you've been fortunate enough to lever it in a positive way. And what yes. we often call post-traumatic growth is yes. used <laughs> to your advantage. And, 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 and I've been able to fortunately do it for myself too, is use it as a lever to springboard yourself in, in the direction of travel that is, that is helping you. What, what do you think people need to do more of in the workplace? And I know this is a hugely loaded question, but what 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 is it that, if from your experience, is so important? What are the sort of most important things that people need to do, from a workplace perspective, to 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 be human centric? So, the answer that immediately came to mind was demand better. I think so many of us go into a work environment, just ready to take whatever comes our way, ready to be told, well, you should be grateful you even have a job. Well, you should be grateful you're even getting paid for it. 
And so much of us, so many of us just to internalize that and go, oh my God, I'm so lucky to have a job. And yes, of course, having a job is a good thing. And having a job is something that is necessary. Unfortunately, we do not live in a barter society. And so we have to have a job to pay for things. But that doesn't mean that we have to be grateful for the shitty environment that we are often placed in. And we if there's one thing that you should do for yourself is demand more and demand better companies all that nobody is just be grateful that you have a job. Why, why should I be grateful if I'm being mistreated? Well, company, company, you know, you should be grateful that they even give you a paycheck. I am exchanging my expertise for dollars. That is not a gratefulness. That is a transaction. Mm. And I expect if I'm going to be there for a third to half of my life, I demand more. I demand an experience that isn't harmful. I demand an experience that is kind. I demand an experience that is worthwhile and enriching to me. Is that too much to ask? I don't think so. It might be too much for some to deliver. And maybe that's the question that should be asked is, are you equipped to be a provider of a healthy environment? Are you mm. equipped and ready to create an environment where people feel safe, seen, cared for, and loved? Mm. If you are not, then maybe the answer is you shouldn't be an employer. Yeah. Maybe the answer is that. But I think mm. that for us, something that people should do in the workplace, like I said, is demand more, demand better. And for yourself at least, but if you feel so inclined and you feel safe enough to do this, say things, speak yeah. up. Don't just demand it for yourself, demand it for others. Now, I know that I am in a privileged position where I can be authentic and be loud and stake my mm -hmm. claim, and I feel safe doing so. That is not the case for many folks. And so I'm not saying go out there, you know, screw everything. It, a lot of <laughs> folks can't do that. Yeah. I am well aware. But if you find yourself in a position of privilege like I am, where I know that I am not just, a, I am not just able to, but encouraged to say these things out loud. My employer encourages me to say these things out loud. Mm. Use your voice. Demand mm. it not just for yourself, but for others. Be a part of the human-centric chorus in a capacity that's more than just for yourself if you are safely able to do so. Mm. I can do that. I know I'm not the only one. So everybody mm. who can should be because we don't make change by staying in our little circles and being like, I'll just be fine right here by myself. The only way we make systemic change, like the kind that is needed in a human-centric workplace environment is by speaking up in groups, demand mm. more, demand better. And if you're able to, to safely do so, speak up, say mm. things. Mm. I think that's so important. And I think it's so important for people who are in a position of authority as well is to is to not not be the person that eats humble pie um mm -hmm. but but you you know we go to back to this important point of psychological safety and kindness is that your boss can be in a really difficult position they could you know depending on the their bosses you know if it's stakeholders and so on is to acknowledge where they're at you know to to as a if you're a leader is to acknowledge that you are creating the psychological safety for them to be vulnerable. And we mm -hmm. we have the power to do that at every leadership level is, is exactly. to is to is to create a psychological safe place by acknowledging what their position is in life and what they want to get out of their objectives that they've set and then framing your demand that that allows the person to see by you asking for that process to be put in place the leader that you're talking to will get more so mm -hmm. you're demanding more will deliver more for for them and i think that's really key it, it, in the demand spaces and i know i failed very miserably on this is I is I do have a you know I had a voice <laughs> and I thought it was safe to voice it voice my opinions and it was not a psychological safe space um yet at the same time if I'd been equipped with framing it in acknowledging what my boss wanted like possibly you know well, I'm almost certain 100 with the company that I left wouldn't have done but could have got a better outcome 
by frame by framing my demand better so it's really important that we are kind Mm -hmm. (laughs) as well you know when we make our demands because that will help us get what we want and also help the firm get what they want too so so i'd love to I'd love to explore, you know, you've moved into this amazing new role and I know we're coming to the end of time, but I'd love to explore what is it that's really shifted for you in in the role that you're in now? What What is it that's really changed uh, in the context of kindness and all, all of the aspects that we've discussed um, in the show? Yeah, that's... That is that is a wonderful question and thank you for asking it. And I think what has shifted for me is... I have completely lost my fear of showing up authentically. And yes, I have I have completely lost that fear. And because I figured I've gotten to the point now where so many of us, again, go into workspaces scared of if I step out of line, I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to, what I have reframed for myself, what I've come to realize is, and we've touched on this is, if I show up as myself, if I voice kindly, my needs, my desires, my demands, if I if I do all of these things that are actually ultimately beneficial for myself and the group, and I am punished for it, that is actually the red flag we want to see. And so I no longer feel fear of showing up authentically because any place that would punish me for showing up as my full self, warts and all, warts and glitter and rainbows (laughs) and all, I don't want to be in that place. Yeah, I don't actually want to be in it. So to me, that's probably the biggest shift is I, my voice has, I have found the ability to amplify my voice tremendously because I no longer have a fear of what that might imply. If I, if I'm punished for it, that is the thing I wanted to see. I don't want to live covertly in a place where I think I'm safe only to be smacked down by something I didn't even see coming. I would rather show up authentically. And if I'm not welcome, thank you so much. I needed to see that so that I could find something better. I think that's the biggest thing that's shifted for me. Yeah, and and thank you for sharing that because I, I, you know, in my previous experience was told that I was not the right shape, <laughs> that I was too oval and I needed to be more round, and and I and I didn't acknowledge that it was a super big red flag, and mm-hmm. and you when you reflect back, you 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 start to stack all these flags that that you know come to the fore when you reflect on things so uh, I think it's so important that we have that opportunity to just be ourselves and show up as ourselves and if we are a bit rough around the edges as some people would say to me is that is that you get the training to Mm -hmm. you know to support you in who you want to be that supports the firm and not you know the no I'm sorry your your face doesn't fit your you know, whatever the fit is, you don't fit. Um, and I like to, you know, with, with kids, you've got these, um, these bo- the boxes that you put the squares and the stars and the circles. Yes. In the right thing. Well, if you're a star, because we are all stars, we all have a unique brightness that we shine. Mm-hmm. You can't start shaving off the, you know, the pointy bits of the star to try and fit it in the circle because you diminish its brightness. That's and exactly. so it's really I love that you have that opportunity to shine for the star that you are and are allowed to, you know, expand your brightness so that people can see the light and can follow the light. I love that. I love that metaphor so much. I love that. (laughs) And what one piece of advice would you give to anybody who is struggling in the workplace? They they're they're in this fear space that that you mentioned that you know they've had they've had this trauma past trauma like maybe can't put a finger on it and they're starting to get scared of interactions in the workplace because something doesn't feel feel right or they 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 can't really they can't really express themselves fully and they're going back to your initial mention about people having this fear factor of um, engaging with their boss because they've called them to a meeting. What what one piece of advice would you give to people who are in that position? I would say start by understanding that you're not imagining things. It's not you. It's not you making a thing. If you feel it, it is valid. 
And if you're able, figure out where it's coming from and what it's telling you. Your body and your mind know more. I often think of myself as three separate entities. There's Anne, there's my brain, and there's my body. And oftentimes Anne does not listen to her brain and Anne does not listen to her body, but I'm trying to get better about it. And when you listen to your brain, when you listen to your body, they will tell you more about what's going on than anything else. So if you are experiencing fear, if you're experiencing anxiety, if interacting with certain people in the workplace are causing you to have negative reactions, it's don't try to work through it. Try to work with it. And with like, and like, just what is it? What is it that's causing you to feel this way? And is it something that you can change? In which case, and analyze if it's that if you want to and can. And if it's not, then start thinking about maybe you need to be in a separate place. And that's okay, too. But if your mind and body are telling you things, listen and recognize them. And what and take some time to think about what is it that is causing these things? Yeah. Thank that is such great advice. I like to think about get curious, not furious. So oh, it's so I love that. Have that curiosity in, 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 the, yes. in the feelings you're experiencing. Because it's yes. often it's like our sixth sense, isn't it? Because we can't mm-hmm. we, we take in so much of our surroundings that we can't verbalize, mm-hmm. but are giving us views that something isn't right. Yes that it's important we pay yes. attention to that. Yes. So thank you so much for sharing that. And how can people get hold of you, learn more about the human-centric workplace and the, all the amazing stuff that you do? Uh, so people can reach me in three primary ways, but LinkedIn, I am extremely active on LinkedIn. It is, if you had told me that 10 years ago, I would have said LinkedIn is one of my favorite social platforms I would have told you that you were absolutely bonkers, but LinkedIn, look me up, Anne Bono, A-N-N-E-B-O-N-O. I'm also very active on TikTok. If you like watching my my antics on this video, you will love seeing me on TikTok. And I am there as leadership coach, Anne, A-N-N-E. But yeah, those are the two. And then humancentric.work is my website. And you can always find me there, but LinkedIn and TikTok are where I spend the bulk of my social time and where you can absolutely hang out with me and interact with me and chat with me. That Those are my favorite places to be. And do make sure you check out Anne because she is a voice for good on LinkedIn. I love the post and I'm not on TikTok yet. I have an account, but I haven't started. So I'm going to start checking you out on TikTok as well. I think I actually, what I think you were one of the first people I actually watched on TikTok with. Oh my gosh. <laughs> So you do. So do make sure you check Anne out there. She's she is such a a force um, that is so needed in this world today. So Anne, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show and you sharing your story of brain health. And now you've really been able to unchain your pain in the context of unpleasant workplace experience, which so many people unfortunately um, have to go through themselves. So thank you so much for showing up as your authentic self being you and just saying how it is with with no sugar coating Um, sugar free sugar free (laughs) i just loved it and just remember everyone this show is all about brain health unchaining your pain you are not stuck with the brain you have you have the power to make it better and Anne has kindly been here to show us how thanks Anne. thank you for having me dr ruth this was fantastic (laughs) I'm <laughs> <Most well. laughs>